Again, welcome. Uh, my name is Robbie Schmipperger. I had the joy of bringing God's word to you uh, today. And we're going to be looking at Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And the wonderful joy of being a church that celebrates the church calendar is that Easter is not just one day. It's, in fact, an entire season. And we're in the midst of this season of Easter or Eastertide. And uh, it's a true beauty to be able to dive into these resurrection passages that we are doing so today. And just a uh, digging in and exploring the hope of the resurrection that we have. And so just before I even get to that, I, I, there's something I missed earlier. At first, I just want to say uh, thank you to the many servants and, and volunteers who have helped to make this possible. Uh, and in fact, over the past few weeks, uh, we've had uh, Nate and Kate, uh, members of our church down in Westchester, join us. And they are wonderfully taking a a Sabbath uh, today and enjoying uh, the time at home. And so it's really a joy as uh, two churches, we can come together and put on this live stream to bless uh, both of our congregations. And so, uh, but with that, let's go back to this passage. Uh, During Easter, we get to celebrate the hope of the resurrection. And there's this uh, one writer, Barbara Johnson, she says about about Christians that we are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And this morning, I want to think about what it means for us to be a, a Easter people in a Good Friday world, because we all have individually lost something. We have all communally together as, as churches and families, we have lost a lot of things recently. And as we think about those losses, whether they be a, a dream wedding, romantic getaway, a time uh, with extended family, a job and income, or school, the ending of a, gra- of a school year, and even a graduation day, as, as we think about those losses, as you think about all these things, as these are people in the Good Friday world, what's it mean for us to grieve and to mourn these losses? And this is a question I want to explore this morning by looking at Luke 24, because Jesus comes to two of his disciples, Cleopas and another unnamed disciple. He comes to these two disciples, and these two disciples are in the midst of leaving the Jesus movement. They are leaving Jesus, his memory, And all his disciples, they're leaving their friends, and they're going to Emmaus, and there's something significant there. But as they're leaving the Jesus movement, Jesus comes to them in their grief, and he ministers to them. And so our scripture today is from Luke 24, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, "O foolish ones and slow of heart, 
to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went, went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the incredible message that Jesus is alive. And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts right now to show us your word, to, sh- to instruct us in our life as we seek to follow you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Psalm 42 asks the question, Oh my soul, why are you so downcast? In other words, the psalmist is asking the question, Why are you sad? In the days after Jesus' death, his disciples are scattered. They are all over the place. In the passage we just read, here are two disciples leaving the Jesus movement and going to Emmaus. And that's significant, but I won't get to that in a moment. But the other disciples, some of them were hiding in the upper room. Some of them returned to their old vocations of being a fisherman, even after Jesus appeared to them. The disciples were scattered And so, but as we think about these men right here for a moment, as they're going to Emmaus, that is incredibly significant. Because Emmaus was a place that was known, it was a hotbed, so to speak, of revolutionary zealots. This was a a community and a city that was known for seeking to overthrow the Roman world and the Roman Empire. And then Frederick Buechner, he described the journey of these two disciples going to Emmaus this way. Emmaus is whatever we do and wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred. And even the wisest and bravest and loveliest, loveliest decay and die. Emmaus is where we go to try to forget about Jesus and the failure of his life. It's, it's striking that these men are going to Emmaus even after they hear the good news of the resurrection. Even after Mary told them that Jesus was not in the tomb. Even after the, uh, their, the, their other friends, the men said it's true, but they're still walking away. They're going to Emmaus because they believe that God is a failure. They are disappointed. They are, they are sad, and they're going there. And so as we think about the, this text, the, the entire question I want us to think about today is about the art and practice of lament. But let's think about this idea by digging into another question. What do you do when you are sad? What do you do when you grieve? Where do you take your grief? Because what we do as a society and as individuals, we have all sorts of different coping strategies. Because coping strategies simply help you make it through the day. Coping strategies just help you survive. They actually don't help you grow. They don't help you thrive. They don't help you learn. 
And each of these, each of the coping strategies that we use assume that grief is a bad thing. They assume that grief and sadness is bad because those are negative emotions. There's this incredible movie. It is truly incredible. It's a children's movie. It's called Inside Out. And it's a, it's, it tells a story of a, of a family that moves from, I believe, Minnesota, and they move to California. But very specifically, it focuses on their daughter, a young child. And she, in Minnesota, she has hockey and ice skating. And she moves to California where they have broccoli on pizza. Not sure if that's a, okay. And, but she is disoriented and she is confused. But it tells the story of, her, of what she's going through by pretending what's going on in her mind, by personifying her emotions where you have anger and disgust and joy and sadness. And the entire movie, we see that the, the dominant emotion of joy is trying to suppress sadness. And it causes chaos when that happens. When you try to suppress sadness, chaos ensues. In fact, in the movie, the healing, the, the turn only comes about when sadness is embraced, when grief is embraced. It's a great, good movie. You should watch it sometime. But this resonates with us because we don't know what to do with our sadness. We don't know what to do with our grief. Embracing grief, just that idea of embracing grief, embracing our sadness scares us. It's unsettling. And recently, I've seen many different coping strategies at work. But I just want to highlight one recently that I've seen. And it's the idea of dismissal. Dismissal downplays the severity and, and loss. It takes on the form of, like, get over it. It's not that bad. My loss is not as significant as what other people have lost. And, like, that is something to to focus on right there. Because while that may be factually true, that your loss may not be as significant as other people's losses, that can actually serve as an excuse for, for you to dismiss your pain. That can also be used to dismiss the invitation that God is putting before you to work within your heart. Peter Scarezzo, he's the author of the Emotionally Healthy Church Leader, uh, Spirituality Books, but in the Emotionally Healthy church, he writes this, it is equally important for you to grieve the significant and cataclysmic losses along with the insignificant ones. When the insignificant losses are stuffed down and denied, they gather in our souls like heavy stones that weigh us down. Unattended to over time, they prevent us from entering into and walking and freely and honestly with God. The most important issue is, is not figuring out whether or not a particular loss is significant or insignificant. Loss is loss. We need to admit that. And so we can dismiss grief and pain. But another thing that I've seen is best represented by the idea of drowning your sorrows. And most of the time, crisis comes. And when crisis comes, that awakes you out of a resignation. But after the immediate shock passes over you, you go back to really ignoring your, your pain and looking for relief. Do you remember perhaps a few, this was two full years ago now, in 2018, there was a false missile alert sent to residents in Hawaii. Everyone thought and was looking to the sky that a missile was inbound and their life was going to be over as they knew it. And the entertainment in, uh, the adult entertainment industry reported that all of a sudden their, their, the, their websites just, the usage of their websites dove. 
But then as soon as the all clear came, about 15 minutes later, it spiked. Everything went back to normal as soon as the crisis was over. This is actually what we do in our sin. We deny it. We dismiss it. We move on. And so the disciples are here. They've dismissed their grief. They're quickly moving on. And the question I want us to zoom in on and focus on is, are we wasting our grief? Are we wasting our sadness right now? Because these disciples, they're going to Emmaus. They did not uh, even stop and consider with their friends, is the resurrection true? What's going on? They, They didn't do that. They did not take up the invitation to do the hard work of even asking, what is the lesson God wants us to learn right now? But they're moving on to Emmaus, looking for another zealot and redeemer to, to liberate Israel from Roman rule. So what are we meant to do with our grief? What are we meant to do with our grief? And this is where we dive more specifically into the art and practice of lament. Because we're actually meant to grieve. And let me just think, let me uh, clarify something, because grieving is not complaining. The biblical word for complaining is grumbling. And Jesus said this in John 6, stop grumbling among yourselves. Paul said elsewhere in Philippians, do everything without grumbling. And we see pictures of God's people in the Old Testament grumbling and complaining in when even though God would provide them food in the form of manna and quail, We see God's people grumbling and complaining over and over again. And that that was even, and we saw Jesus, Jesus' disciples grumbling and complaining to him as well when Jesus was explaining some hard truths to them. He's like, don't don't grumble. So one author, Chuck DeGroat, he writes about the Israelites and how they were grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. They say that, he says this, instead of engaging Honestly, with God in the midst of their suffering, the Israelites chose to turn their backs and hightail it back to the land where they could resume their relatively comfortable enslavement, back to slavery in Egypt. It's this refusal to engage honestly in relationship that angers God. See, what uh, DeGroote is pointing out for us is, is that grumbling and complaining diminishes and estranges and alienates us from God. Because when you complain, you are believing that God is not good. You're believing that God is not kind. And it is going to lead to an estranged relationship between you and God. But when we grieve through the biblical practice of lament, our relationship with God deepens. Our intimacy with God deepens. And in fact, we see this clearly in Scripture. We see this in Psalms and Lamentations and in Jesus' interactions with people. As you think about the Psalms for a moment, the vast majority of Psalms are laments. They're laments. And in Lamentations, that is an entire book of laments. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But let's just think about laments for a moment. Because what are they? We don't think about laments in our everyday language. But laments are very specifically, they are essential they are essential for our life and our faith. The ancient Psalms, uh, to clarify what these are, by crying out before God, and they are a display of honest and raw faith and expression before God. Laments are emotions, completely unfiltered, unchecked, and 
Rob to God. And sometimes, many times, grief is too much to bear. But these, these laments are elements, they are pictures of a beautiful and bold faith. Because what laments actually say is that, God, this is not right, and I need to talk to you right now about it. It's bothering me, and I need to talk to you about it. You need to help me work through this. So what laments do is that lamenting insists that the world must be experienced as it truly is. That the world is broken and sinful and miserable, and that's true. And we have all these promises before that God gives to us. And how do we reconcile all these things? And so laments, as when you lament to God, that's exactly what you're doing. And, because, and so here, as you look at the entire message of Scripture, God wants you to bring your grief to him. He wants you to bring your pain to him. The Israelites had leaders who would turn this into an art form. They turned it into a, a, an incredible art form. Art form. It, like, for example, what I'm thinking of very specifically is the book of Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah. As you look at Lamentations, it is a, an acrostic. An acrostic, uh, perhaps you have not been anywhere near elementary education for a, a while. But an acrostic is when you just work through the alphabet, A to Z. When you think about animals, A is for antelope, B is for bear, C is for cat, and things like that. And you just make your way through the alphabet, and you list the animals. But when it comes to the book of Lamentations, when it comes to pain, what Jeremiah just does is he works through the alphabet, A to Z, and he names losses that Israel had. And it's an art form. It's, and so if you think about this in a personal way, there is an invitation for you to list out your losses and pain in the form of an acrostic. And it gets very uncomfortable quickly. Because what we want to do, and I mentioned this a few moments ago, we want to quickly gloss over our pain. We want to move on to more enjoyable things. But it is essential for us to actually embrace our grief. Because it's, and it's tragic. It's awful. It's it, it's. I can't understate that. It's awful when people cannot be with their loved ones and friends in their death. It's tragic that loved ones cannot come to a wedding. It's tragic that people have lost in at least an entire month's worth of income. It's tragic that students did not get to finish their school year. It's tragic that singles may not have had a handshake for four to six weeks. In the middle of Lamentations, Jeremiah reveals why the depth and detail of going through our pain and grief is necessary. And it's necessary so that we would actually experience and discover the faithfulness of God. That we would actually discover God's love amidst our pain. And here's an example. Here's an example. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim Russell passed away. Tim Russell, he was the, once upon a time the chaplain at Geneva College, and he more recently was a pastor at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. But more personally, he was a neighbor to my parents during their seminary days. And Tim Russell died due to COVID-19. And so sadly, his friends and family were not able to be with one another and to comfort, his, to comfort one another, and specifically his wife, during, uh, after his loss. But that would not stop the church from being the presence of Christ to them. And this is captured on video. You can see it anywhere on social media. But what happened, the church choir gathered around and surrounded the house. And everyone was clearly, like, 
10 feet apart. And as they surrounded the house, they sang psalms. They, they sang hymns of faith and to encourage and comfort family and friends. And the point that I want to make is that like, as we acknowledge grief and as we speak the truth of God's word into our lives, we are encouraged. And the reality is we grow in our life. We grow in our faith through lamenting. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the fact that God the Son became flesh, shows us and demonstrates all of this with us. Because in the incarnation, God is with us. God is with us in our pain, in our sorrow, in our grief. And so even when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and this is in John 11, he did not comfort the, his, the sisters, Mary or Martha. He did not just comfort them and say, relax, don't cry. I got this. Just watch me work here. That's not what Jesus did. Instead, Jesus wept. And all those who were around him was like, oh, see how he loved him. Jesus wept. Jesus embraced his grief and, and wept. And then he would go on to, to the other sister, Martha, and he would point her to the, the ultimate hope. I am the resurrection and the life. And then at the, in the next few moments, he commanded death to retreat. See, the incarnation shows us that God welcomes us to come to him with all our pain and sorrow because he has come to us and that he has embraced our grief and our sorrows so that we, he would have solid, that we would have solidarity with him. So how do we grow through lamenting? How do we grow through this practice of embracing grief? Because lamenting has the power and, and the potential to change your heart. It compels you to name your pain. It compels you to search and examine your heart. And it forces you to wrestle with God. But if your heart actually denies your pain, you cannot repent. Because something profoundly human is lost. Repentance, if, when you deny your pain, at, at least is going to be a sure a charade, and at best it's going to be a behavioral change, and that's all it's going to be. But very specifically, lamenting takes God's promises of Easter seriously, that Jesus is, has defeated the grave and he is making all things new. It takes the promises of Easter seriously amid the brokenness of this world. And the miseries of sin in this world are real and awful, but God is making all things new, and so he uses our pain for our good. In fact, Jesus put it this way, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so as we think about this question, how do we grow through lamenting first? Our grief teaches us the vital lesson that we are not God, that we are not God. We are not the ones in control. We are not the heroes of our story. Someone else is. And God uses our grief to remove our fearful self-will that seeks to run the universe. Here's an an example. New Life Fellowship in Queens, they sought to purchase their own building, which would end their nomadic stage of their church planting life. But while they raised the necessary funds as they had that capital campaign going on, a developer swooped in and purchased their ideal property at an incredibly inconvenient time. And so that caused the church to be like, to be, to grieve, to, to truly uh, express their sadness. Some of the church were angry. And some were confused and disoriented. Like, does God not want us to be here in Queens ministering to this community? So then another occasion came before them, and they had the opportunity to purchase an additional property, but it would be outside Queens. 
And so they had to, to think through that question. Doesn't God want us to be in Queens for Queens? And as they wrestled through that question, the, the answer they came to was yes. But the, their pastor tells, says that as we went through that entire season as a church, we had to admit that we were doing things on our own. We had to answer questions as to who were leading the church. Whose vision was this? Who was driving this? Is it us or is it God? Whose work are we pursuing? And so as they entered, went through that season, it was uh, about two years. As two, two, two years passed by, and the church was in a much healthier, stronger place amid this, this challenge. Two years passed by, and in fact, the developer went under, and the church had the opportunity to buy their ideal property once again. And they actually had the money already raised. My point is that, as, that you'll discover that at, through lament, through as you embrace your grief, as you lament your sorrows to God, you will wrestle with God. And what's going to happen is that your self-will will die. You'll trust God more. You'll become more compassionate. You'll be able to empathize and be sensitive to the needs of those around you, the poor, the sick, the mar- marginalized, and more. In other words, that you'll become more like Jesus Christ. Because, and, and that's who he is. And he suffered for you. And this is all possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He suffered incredibly more than you ever would. All because he loves you. And so when Jesus died upon the cross, everyone looked at him and said, you are a failure. And the cross, that, and this is how apostle, the Apostle Paul put it, the cross is foolishness to the Greek, And it is a stumbling block to the Jew. Because, again, everyone would look at Jesus Christ upon the cross and they would see him as being a failure. But the reality is that as these two disciples are see Jesus now as a failure, they are going to Emmaus. Jesus overcame every obstacle in pursuit of them. As they were leaving Jesus, Jesus pursued them and overcame every obstacle, including death, just to go after them. And this is the good news that we are given to us because we are an Easter people, because our Savior, our God, has defeated death for us. And so today we're going to end our service a little differently because we're going to be singing two songs. The first is going to be a lament because this is a practice that we should dive into and we want to instruct you and teach you how to do this. So I'm going to invite the music team to come forward. And as they're going to lead us in this time of lament, afterwards Craig is going to be praying for the prayers of the people that you have sent in. But let me just first close our time in prayer and our musicians will lead us in song. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace that you have given to us. We thank you that you are our Father who says, I want you to bring your grief to me. I want you to bring your sadness to me, Father. Thank you for not being afraid of our grief, but embracing it. We thank you that your son is a man of sorrows, that he has suffered even unto the cross so that we would have life with you. Father, we thank you for the life that we have with you, that we can call you our father. You are a good, good father, and we are your children. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to, that your spirit would be at work in our heart, that we would, that we would truly take our grief to you, that we would work through the pain that we have right now, and that instead of, of walking away from you, that our, that our grief would actually be used by you to deepen our love for you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.